Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. One Sunday morning, roughly 2,000 years ago, during the Passover, two days after Jesus had been crucified and buried in the tomb, two women, one called Mary, we don't know anything else about her name other than Mary, and Mary Magdalene, went to the tomb where Jesus had been crucified. And the tomb is open. The, The big stone has been rolled away. And an angel appears to them and says these incredible words, Probably the most incredible words ever spoken to any human being ever in history. Do not be afraid. Because they probably would have been quite afraid, right, with a giant angel uh, looking at them. For I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And, And these two women become the first witnesses to hear, to see and experience the greatest news, the greatest event in all of human history. Jesus is risen. Jesus is alive. I won't make you clap like Andy did, but I will say that Jesus is risen. It's good news, right? (laughs) I'm not very English about it, but it is great news. And it strikes me as odd that we call Easter Sunday Easter Sunday. We have Good Friday, right? We're all familiar with the term Good Friday. That's the day that Jesus was crucified, and we believe that he was crucified in our place, taking all of our wrongdoing, all the things that we shouldn't have done on himself in our place. And we call that Good Friday because it is good. It's good news. We needed a saviour. Jesus saved us. But on Easter Sunday, we remember that he's alive. He's risen. It's only good news on Good Friday is only good news because Jesus is alive. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then Good Friday is just another person dying. But instead, death is defeated. The grave couldn't hold him. And we sing the words of the, the old Charles Wesley hymn. Lives again, our, live, sorry, lives again, our glorious king. Where, O death, is now thy sting? Once he died... Our souls to save, where's thy victory, boasting grave? I think we should rebrand Easter Sunday. If Good Friday is Good Friday, then today it should be even better Sunday. <laughs> or Amazing Sunday. Right, are, we with, are we with that? Like our marketing next year, when we're kind of thinking about promoting what we're doing at Easter? Even Super, Super Sunday, Sunday. Super Sunday. Yes. yes. it's the best news. The the resurrection is the single most important event of all of human history. Without the resurrection, there is no Christianity. We're not here today. But the the loss of a major religion to the world isn't the main reason why the resurrection is important. The resurrection is so important for so many significant life-altering, universe-altering reasons. And it has enormous implications for every single person in this room, in this city, in the world today. And I want to just look at three things this morning, picked out three particular things 
that the resurrection accomplishes. Firstly, the resurrection confirms that Jesus is who he claimed to be. Secondly, it tells us this world, creation, matters. And thirdly, the resurrection tells us that we have a living hope for the future. So, we as Christians believe that Jesus is God. We, we haven't just made these claims up. These aren't claims that have been added in the aftermath of him dying. In fact, Jesus himself made these claims repeatedly all the way through the Gospels. And, and these, these claims were so explicit that the religious leaders of the day were outraged. And when I say outraged, I don't mean outraged in the way that when you read any news article now, there's always some reference to people taking to Twitter who were outraged about something that they'd seen, outraged, typing on their phones. They literally had rocks in their hands, ready to stone him dead on the spot. This happens in John chapter 10, which is one of the most explicit accounts of Jesus claiming to be God. They're ready to stone him. And it tells us in verse 33 why they think they want to stone him. They say, we are stoning you for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Jesus claimed to be God. There is no doubt about it. Now, just stop for a moment. What would you do if I said now, I am God? Laugh. Well, Becky would confirm that I'm not. (laughs) You'd probably cut the recording and get the mic. Andy, I mean, who would be the best bouncer in, um, well, Phil's not here, is he? Yeah. Phil would be the best bouncer, so Andy would have to take over the, the job of escorting me off the premises. Um, and you'd probably call a doctor, right? Because I'd either be seriously unwell or a serious con man. You wouldn't call me a good teacher. You might not think I'm a good teacher anyway. I'll let you be the judge of that when this is all over. C.S. Lewis makes this point about Jesus. I'm going to read it out because he says it better than I can and it's going to come up on the screen. I'm trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him as Jesus, which is I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing that we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sorts of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would be either a lunatic on the level with a man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But that does not come with any patronising nonsense about his being a great teacher. He did not leave that open to us. He didn't intend to. There are lots of objections to the Christian faith. Maybe you have some of your own. But the only, only one thing really, really matters, and that is, is Jesus alive today? If he isn't, you can ignore him. You can all go home. Because as I said, if, if Jesus isn't alive, he's just another dead guy. History is littered with them, everyone who's ever lived. And as Lewis said, we, you, know, you can debate all you want whether he's a good teacher or not. I don't think you, don't think you can if he's dead. I, I think he would be a lunatic or um, a con man. 
If he's dead, he can't be God. And we would be idiots for being here today worshipping him. We could just worship anyone, couldn't we, instead? And, you know, everything that's in the Bible hangs on the resurrection being true. So if it's not true, we can just ignore this. But if he's alive, if he's really resurrected and conquered death, if he really is who he said he is and who Christians have claimed he is for the past 2,000 years, then suddenly this becomes a lot more important. We need to take the things that the Bible teaches us and that the Christian faith teaches us a lot more seriously. When I was 17, um, I, I was interested in exploring the claims of Christianity. I don't have time to go into all the details, but basically I went to an alpha course because of a girl that I fancied. And also my best friend, um, still one of my best friends now, was, was a Christian as well. And I, yeah, I had lots of objections, and I worked them through and taught them through. And, but I got on this journey to kind of reaching faith in Jesus. I had one big gripe, one objection that held me back for quite a long time. I'm going to tell you what it is, and you're going to laugh at me. So you're telling me that I can't have sex before marriage? <laughs> that was my gripe. The really funny thing was, I literally had no opportunities. <laughs> To quote Alan Partridge, I was literally repulsive to women. <laughs> Do you know what? I didn't suddenly become a follower of Jesus. I didn't suddenly decide to be a Christian because I worked that through. I became a Christian because eventually I had to answer the question, is Jesus alive today? And I came to believe in the resurrection as a historical fact. And that meant that I had to come to the same conclusion as C.S. Lewis, who when he carries on that quote I was reading out a minute ago, he says, Now it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, I have to accept the view that he was and is God. And most of us here have already made a choice to, to believe this, but maybe you haven't. I would invite you to make a choice this morning. Is Jesus alive? Is he who he claimed to be? Secondly, the resurrection tells us that this world matters. The Bible teaches us that Jesus was physically, bodily resurrected. He didn't appear to people as an apparition. He wasn't a poltergeist. The hundreds of witnesses who, who saw Jesus, um, they weren't necromancers. He had flesh blood, bones, muscles. He ate food. He drank drinks. And, and Jesus having a body eternally tells us something about the create, creation, physical matter. It means that God cares about it. The physical, the things that we see, the things that we inhabit, our bodies, they're not going to pass away. It matters so much to God that he's going to come and restore it. And he himself, through Jesus, inhabits matter, flesh and blood for eternity. And our, our, objectives of, our objective as followers of Jesus is not to escape from the world. We're not just travellers passing through who, who one day hope to get away from this place and become disembodied spirits floating on a cloud. The place that we inhabit when Jesus returns is this place. Because God's going to restore earth and creation. And we will inhabit bodies. 
They're going to be better bodies than we've got now, thankfully. But we're going to have bodies. We're going to be eating and drinking. And it would taste great. We're going to have muscles and flesh and bones. and It's, it's a physical restoration. It means that this world that we see now matters. Because it isn't going to pass away. N.T. Wright, who is a New Testament scholar and an Anglican bishop, um, wrote a book called Surprised by Hope. And one of the big themes of this book is this, that this physical world will be restored by God. And he says this, that the point of the resurrection is that the present bodily life is not valueless just because it will die. What you do with your body in the present matters because God has a great future in store for it. What you do in the present by painting, preaching, singing, sewing, praying, teaching, building hospitals, digging wells, campaigning for justice, writing poems, caring for the needy, loving your neighbour as yourself, will last into God's future. These activities are not simply ways of making the present life a little less beastly, a little more bearable, until the day we leave it behind altogether. They are part of what we may call building for God's kingdom. The beauty that we see around us matters. The things that we create and do matter. Because it has eternal consequences. I'm really wary of um, middle-class affluent people standing up in a, in a pulpit like this, talking on this theme and just saying, go and buy organic food. That's the outcome here. Um, and make sure everything that you buy is sustainable. I'm not against those things at all, but I'm very aware that those things are very expensive. And we live in a country now where a lot of people are literally having to decide between heating their homes and feeding their children. So I'm not going to do that. I'm a middle-class, affluent person. I'm not going to tell you to do that. And that wouldn't be the point anyway. The point of the resurrection isn't so we can go and buy organic eggs and drive electric cars. If you can, do it. Fine. Fantastic. But that's not, that's not the point. I have heard people say that. It means that we're to be stewards of what we see, to care for, to nurture and to steward the creation and the world that we live in. The resurrection means that we value all human life and actually do social justice. So why as a church we give so much money away to those who need it? Because human life is important. It's important to God. People are made in his image. And the resurrection tells us that we ought to protect and care for his created order, whether it's humans or animals or, or nature. We shouldn't be chopping stuff down to consume more stuff because this creation matters. I look at wealthy billionaires. There's kind of space race going on, isn't there, with these really wealthy billionaires. And they're looking to build sort of places to live on Mars or the moon. And I think, no. Don't. What are you doing? We've got to be stewards of this world. Use your money to do good stuff here. Don't, don't. Let's enjoy the beauty and protect the beauty of our world. Let's not just disappear and find another place to wreck. We're to be stewards. We're not here to escape. Thirdly, the resurrection gives us a living hope for the future. The future hope of our hearts changes how we live today. The future hope of our heart changes how we live now. 
So let me ask you, what do you hope for? Or what do you put your hope in? Maybe it's, I don't know, relationships, family, friends. Maybe it's health. Put our hope in being healthy and staying healthy. Or, or wealth. You know, or, or job security or whatever. We all put our hope in stuff. We all look to these things to give us hope and meaning. Recently, um, Shane Warne, who was a great cricketer, Australian cricketer, died uh, suddenly and unexpectedly, aged 52. And this affected me because I watched him as a kid. I loved Shane Warne, even if he was Australian. Um, and as an Englishman watching cricket, I'm sworn to not like him. You can see John. John's nodding <laughs> in agreement. Um, he was a bit, of, a bit of a hero, and he died. You know, I'm only four years younger now than John Lennon was. He was my ultimate hero growing up. He was murdered at the age of 40. I'm 36 now. It kind of reminds me when people like that I look up to, admire, when they die, it reminds me that I'm not immortal. None of us are. The people that I love, they're not immortal. Nothing lasts forever. The things that we enjoy, the things that we put our hope in, they don't last. Relationships and jobs and money, and they can just be taken away from us like that. But we can't live without hope, can we? Imagine how utterly terrible, despairing our lives would be if we had no hope. So instead, what we need is a hope that can't fail. A hope that can't be taken away from us. There's a, an incredible book, um, which is one of the most interesting sort of, um, sort of takes on hope, in my opinion, that I've read, um, by a guy called Viktor Frankl. He wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. Now, Frankl was a Jewish psychiatrist, and he spent three years in Nazi concentration camps, including Auschwitz, and he survived. And he wrote about his experiences in the camp, and it's a really fascinating book. Um, and he made some really important observations about hope and meaning. He said that any attempt to fight the camp's influence on the prisoner had to aim at giving him an inner strength by pointing out to him a future goal to which he could look forward. He goes on to say, it's a peculiarity of man that he can only live by looking to the future. The prisoner who had lost faith in his future was doomed. And this is the key, the key phrase, which kind of sums it up, really, the, the whole book. Life only has meaning if you have a hope and meaning that suffering and death cannot destroy and here's a guy who knew what suffering and death looked like. Isn't it true? I think that's one of the most profound statements I've ever read. Because we all need a hope that can't be taken away from us. That can never die. One that can outlive any circumstance we might find ourselves in. Imagine what our lives would look like if our hearts were full of a hope that was secure like this, how would it change how we lived today? How might we respond to setbacks and challenges? How might we plan for our futures if we knew that we had a hope that could never be taken away from us? 
that even suffering and death cannot destroy because the future hope of our hearts dictates how we live now. And one of my favourite Bible passages is, is uh, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 4. It says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. See, Peter had hope in Jesus. When Jesus was alive, Peter had hope in him. He followed him everywhere he went, but when Jesus was dead, Peter disowned him. He became cowardly because his hope was lost. But then suddenly, when Jesus is alive, look at the difference in Peter. Talking about having a new birth into a living hope. And living hope is only possible for us because the one we hope for, the one we hope in, lives forever. Living hope offered by Jesus is not just crossing our fingers and wishing for the best. And it's nothing like what's offered by any other religion or any worldly philosophy because they all say work hard to earn your salvation. Work hard to do well in life. Work hard to be happy. But it's never secure, is it? If we have a hope that's based on our own efforts, on our own hard work, it's always going to fail us because we're never going to do well enough. We're never going to live up to the standards that, that, that are set for us, even the standards that we set for ourselves. We know deep down we can't do it. So we can't have a living hope based on our own efforts. But Jesus can give us a hope and a meaning that suffering and death cannot destroy because he's alive, because he did it for us. By defeating death in our place through the resurrection, he's already achieved for us what we could never achieve, and he simply just gives it to us. That's the inheritance that can never spoil or fade. Death couldn't hold him. He couldn't be kept in the grave. Where is your sting, death? Where is your victory, boasting grave? And because through the resurrection, we have a living hope, and it's the assurance that we have a saviour who can never be taken away from us. He can't die again. He's alive and lives forever. And he sends the Holy Spirit to live with us and through us, to empower us and guide us and help us. He, he gives us his word to, to teach us and to, to show us how we can live. We, we, we are assured that Jesus is always with us and that one day we too will be resurrected with him. What an amazing hope. This is the best day ever. Today we remember this. And, and this hope, it can't be taken away from us because it's not based on anything that we do, anything that we could do. It's all based on what Jesus has done for us and achieved on the cross once and for all. Back when I was on the Alpha course, um, and argue with my, Christ, with my Christian friend about hypothetical girlfriends, there was, something, there was something that always resonated with me. And it kept me going back every week to Alpha, and it kept me in conversation, and it kept me searching. And it was, they were different. These people were just different to me. They had a peace and a lightness, and it meant they just stood out. The way they treated me, the way they treated other people, the way they carried themselves. It's really difficult to describe, but it was attractive. They glowed. I don't know, they were normal people, but they just had, they glowed. 
was a living hope because it changes how you live now. They had a hope I didn't have. I couldn't get. I was looking for hope in all the wrong places, in places that could not meet my needs, that could not help me, that could not be secure, in people and places and things that were finite. But there, living hope transformed them. And more than anything else, I wanted that for myself. And I came to believe that Jesus had resurrected from the dead in order to give me that living hope. And now I have it. And you can have it too. When, we, when I was preparing for today, um, I obviously felt the theme of hope was very important, which is why I spent so much time talking about it. But there was two particular things that I felt that God was, was speaking to me about and putting on my heart to pray for this morning. Um, in relation to hope. The first one is, some people here might be going through really difficult times and you need hope. You need to be reminded of this morning that joy and light has triumphed over sadness and darkness. When, when I was kind of preparing this, I was reminded of uh, the church I ran the Alpha course when I, um, when I was 17. There was a guy called David who was in that church and um, David was, he had physical and, and learned disabilities. He was in a wheelchair and lots of different things going on with David. He was also the most exuberant person in worship every week. And he would say something which never left me, doesn't leave me. He used to say, I can't wait to get my new body. You see, a living hope doesn't change the circumstances that we find ourselves in, but it changes how we respond to it, our perspective. Secondly, the second thing is um, um, about, well, a few weeks ago, this is a slightly odd one, but I was reminded of this as, we were, as I was preparing for this. A few weeks ago, Tom gave a, a word uh, for people about hope, and he quoted a, some song lyrics, and the song lyrics are, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman like me to have. And he said, you know, actually, we are to have hope, we're to take hold of hope. It might feel dangerous, but we're to take hold of it. And I know that song. Um, it, it's, a, it's a song um, by Lana Del Rey. And I don't often quote Lana Del Rey in church, but here we are. Something kind of, I was reminded of how the lyrics change later on in the song. She says, hope is a dangerous thing for a woman with my past There may be the people here today who are carrying guilt and shame for things that maybe they've done or things that have been done to them. And because of this, they just they can't find hope. I want to encourage you. Jesus is alive today. And he's given you a hope that can't be taken away from you. And it's irrespective of anything that has happened in your past. Because shame says to you, you've failed. But Jesus doesn't say that to us. He says, I have won and succeeded on your behalf. And nothing can take that from you. Lastly, I think maybe people here this morning who maybe wouldn't call themselves a follower of Jesus. And maybe you have done in the past and, and not now, but this morning... I would invite you to make your choice. Who is Jesus? Is he 
is he God? If Jesus is alive today, then he's God, right? If you decide he isn't, that's your choice. But maybe you're thinking, maybe he is. Maybe you've heard me talk about living hope and think, that sounds incredible. I'd, I'd love that for myself. Well, the offer is open to receive it this morning by believing in who Jesus is, believing he is alive and that he is God.